Man, did y'all like the clip art that they used in that video? <laughs> they right-clicked and downloaded some of the, the cheesiest things they could find on Google. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I'm so glad that you guys are here. So in all seriousness, the golden offering is super important, and it's a really, really cool thing that, that happens through that. So the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, um, they are an important entity within kind of our convention. And what some of the things that they support is our local BCM. So how many of you in here go to the BCM? So here's the deal. When we give to the Golden, Golden Mission offering, like you're impacting real students' lives, like students in our own congregation, which is really neat. So the month of September is the Golden Mission's emphasis, and it has a huge impact on so many people but um, just forgive them for the fact that they use you know the the little clip art stuff so um, today we are jumping into a a new series last week pastor doug um, introduced this idea so we're going to be in second timothy from here and until about christmas so if you have your copy of god's word turn with me to the book of second timothy Last week, Pastor Doug introduced to us this idea that we are entrusted with the gospel. And so you and I have been entrusted by, we were saved by grace, by God's grace. And, and through that, he has given us something. And not only has he, he given us something uh, to believe, but he's given us something to do with this. He's, he's allowed us to join in his mission to make disciples of all nations. And so we see this interaction beginning with Paul and Timothy. And it's, it's a beautiful interaction, uh, like a father talking to his beloved son. And in many ways, that is spiritually what is going on here. That Paul, as a spiritual father, is investing and pouring into his spiritual son. Unlike Paul, who is bold and sometimes almost kind of brash, Timothy, on the other hand, is, is timid and shy and Timothy is, is put in this position of, pa of pastor in the Ephesian church, and, and he's going to deal with lots of different issues. He's going to deal with false teaching. And he's going to deal with people coming against him. And not only that, he's going to come up against the possibility of suffering and having to endure difficult things, not just as a pastor, but more than that, as, as a believer and follower of Jesus. And so because of that, Paul is in, investing in him and sharing this, this encouragement to not give up, but more than that, to share in this good suffering. And that's where we arrive at today. And one of the things that, as I considered this idea of, of our tendency to, to kind of step back away from our faith when it's hard or step back out of situations where um, it might feel a little more confrontational to share the faith and those types of things. We can feel shame in that. And it's difficult for us to stick to hard things as humans, isn't it? It's difficult for us to, to stick at it. How many of you have ever started a diet and not completed your journey? Yeah, same. And how about uh, maybe a workout plan as well? Yes. All of us have done that. It is not, it's not uniquely spiritual for us to have difficulty completing something that we begin. 
But it is definitely at least a spiritual thing. If you're like me, particularly with the gym, I just keep putting it off with the idea that at some point life will be in a more calmer place for me to join it, a more convenient place. Now I saw, I think maybe it was on Twitter or Instagram, that adulthood is consistently saying, oh, next week will be a little more calmer, and then you die. <laughs> and it never comes, right? And so college students, uh, just high school students in the room, it's kind of, you keep waiting for life to get simpler and more calm, and guess what? It doesn't. It doesn't. So in the midst of all this, we have to learn to do hard things. Um, I, I found this stat kind of staggering, but not necessarily surprising, that 80% of the people that join a gym in January quit within five months. 80%. 50% quit by the end of January itself, which is remarkable, but I, I would understand that. Remaining faithful is very difficult. And so here in 2 Timothy, we see Paul telling Timothy to remain faithful, even when it gets tough, and especially when it gets tough. So look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 8. And when you get there, say word. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has manifested, been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The idea, the, the one word that I would really like for us to, to really hit on this morning is the idea of surrender. It's the idea of surrender, that you and I will succumb or surrender to something in our life that we will either choose to surrender to the forces that are coming against us in this world or we will surrender to God's desire and God's plan for our life. So we will surrender. Life is about choosing what you choose to believe and what you choose to give yourself to. And so we're going to give ourselves to something. The choice that you and I have is what we will choose to surrender or give ourselves to. And so Paul is, is encouraging Timothy that wherever uh, our faith takes us, that we must give our life and surrender to God, even if that does lead to suffering. We must continue to give our life to Jesus and surrender, even when it gets tough and even if it leads us to suffering. And that's what he's saying to Timothy right here. Look back at verse eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Do not be ashamed. So the first truth that I want us to see in the journey to remaining faithful and surrendering only to Jesus, we must remember this. To remain faithful, we must defend against the tendency towards timidity 
and shame of the gospel. We must be able to defend against this tendency that each of us have towards kind of calling it quits. And so that's why Paul initially writes it. And he says, therefore, because the verse immediately preceding this is deeply connected. So look at verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. And, and that can be us as, as a people. And the spirit is uniquely the Holy Spirit. Not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So if God has given us this Holy Spirit that provides power and self-control and of love, then therefore we do not have to be ashamed. But the fact that he says it, that we do not have to be, means our tendency is to shy away. That's, that's, if we just look at our natural disposition, that's where we go. Now this is not uniquely spiritual, but it still is spiritual. Paul knows that Timothy has a problem with timidity and he has undoubtedly seen in the life of Timothy him shy away from opportunities to teach or opportunities to share the gospel or opportunities to instruct and therefore he, he's chosen to kind of yield to intimidation and to pressure. We've, we see this all the time in our lives, Right? of people yielding to intimidation and pressure. We call it peer pressure. How many of, how many of you all have, have done something in your life when you were in school or wore a certain thing or took a certain thing off or tried a certain food because of intimidation and pressure? Absolutely. I ate an entire like pie of like chocolate pudding at one point in middle school and in, in youth group and my stomach hurt for like three days because it was honestly an entire chocolate pudding pie with like gummy worms. And it's like, who can eat it the fastest? And you'll win a gift card or something. I'm like, I'll do that. I'm a middle school boy. I don't care. And so like we do these types of things. So again, it's not uniquely spiritual, but it does apply to us in our spiritual terms. And so he says not to be ashamed about two specific things, doesn't he? Look back at the text with me. It says, do not be ashamed first of the testimony of our Lord, nor, secondly, of me, his prisoner. Paul says two specific things. Timothy must not yield to the intimidation and what would be honestly easier to go. Sometimes this is the, most, the much more difficult path. The first thing he says is the testimony of our Lord, meaning the content of the gospel, right? The teachings of Jesus, the command of Jesus to put away everything and to follow him. The teaching of Jesus for us to adhere to uh, God's sexual design instead of our own desire. All of these things are, are kind of put into this testimony that, that Jesus is Lord, that there is a, not just a way, but there is the way to God. It's hard when people press up against that. It's like, do you mean to tell me that, that there's only one way to God? It's like, yes, but he's available to all. The second thing is, he says of me, for some reason, Timothy was, could be afraid or tend to be shy away from connecting himself to Paul his spiritual dad. 
Now, as, if you're a parent in the room, you've probably seen this happen when your kids turn a certain age. They no longer want to be seen by you, right? <laughs> Around you, like you become the evil one. And you're like, I am not with he who shall not be named. I promise. The dad jokes that they make is just, I'm, I'm not associated with that person at all. And, and that's kind of essentially what's happening because Paul is suffering. He's writing this letter from this awful prison. Paul will never write another letter. This is it. The final thing before Paul dies is this letter. And so Timothy is associating himself by saying he's with Paul. He's associating himself with a great deal of suffering that might even lead to embarrassment in his life. So he says, so don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of the people of God. There are probably opportunities in your life and my life when we shy away from in our workplaces or in our home, whenever it's convenient with our friends, when we shy away from associating ourselves with Jesus and his teaching, or we shy away from associating ourselves with the people of God who live a certain way, don't we? If we're honest, if you're really, really honest about it. I, I remember doing this, uh, actually, my, my freshman year of high school. I remember in this kind of a home ec type class where I, the only thing that I remember about this class is that we had to do a marriage book which is really interesting. We had to put together this huge wedding notebook and plan our wedding from like the very start all the way through where we would go on our honeymoon. And we would have little cutout figures and, and all of these kind. Of, it was really weird, quite frankly. But I, I just remember the fact that for our rehearsal dinner, that we had the rehearsal and rehearsal dinner at Texas Roadhouse, <laughs> right? That's what, that's what, 14 or 15 year old Alan really thought was the place to go. And honestly, 33 year old Alan still kind of thinks that, you know, <laughs> like those roles, what a holy union that is between that and my mouth, you know, <laughs> that, is, that is a beloved space. And I, I, I've got to be honest, but I remember in the group that I was with, they began to highly influence me. I was a freshman and they were older. And, and these girls, like I was at a table full of girls because nobody else took the class other than girls and me. And so I don't really don't remember why I was in this class. And so I take it and, and I just remember the way that they began to speak, I began to speak. The things that they began to talk about, even if they were vile, I began to associate myself with those things. If they were mean, I began to be mean, all in order to kind of fit into this group. How many times in our life do maybe we perhaps uh, compromise our moral principles, our standards, in order to fit into places that, that God never meant for us to fit into naturally? How many times do we associate ourselves with what we would consider darkness in order not to shine light, where light doesn't want to be shined? I mean, we do that, right? And we do it in two areas. With the message of the gospel, when somebody asks us, do you really believe that, that this certain thing is a sin? <sighs> 
It's like maybe not in the way that, that you think it is, but yeah, we, we believe that. And then with the people of God. So perhaps you're in here today and you identify with Timothy's kind of shyness and his timidity. And you may work in a, a hostile environment or in your school. It may be hostile to the gospel or somebody that is of faith. And it may be much easier to get along by just getting by and just doing what everyone else is doing. You may fear that if people find out that you are a believer, um, so you just kind of keep your faith to yourself. You keep the light off. You, you fear if somebody finds out that you attend church or, or pray or read the Bible, that they actually may hold you to a different standard or they may treat you differently. And you don't want that in your life. And Paul's message to this is that in order to remain faithful, we must choose to surrender to the right thing. Because by doing what the world is calling us to do, we are surrendering and giving ourselves to the world. And so he says, remember, defend against the tendency of timidity and shame of the gospel. So I want to ask this question and something that you, I think you guys can, can connect with. Are there parts of Christianity that you back away from because it would bring suffering or shame in your life? Are there parts of Christianity or the walk of faith that you shy away from because it would bring suffering or shame into your life? And if so, that's something that we can talk about and something for you to pray about. But it's definitely something to be honest about. So we must defend against that. The second thing that Paul shows us in, in verses, and kind of the rest of the verses, is that to remain faithful, we must untrust ourselves to God's will and purpose in every circumstance. To remain faithful, we entrust ourselves to God's will and purpose, regardless of where that is, in every circumstance. Look at, at the end of, of verse 8. But share in suffering. Basically, Paul says that Okay, if, if you choose to not be ashamed of this, you're joining me in this suffering. Even if you physically don't ever encounter it, you're joining me in this mission. So share in the suffering for what? For the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Look down at verse 10, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul is not suffering just because he likes it. You know, he's, he's, not, a, he's not a masochist or anything like that. He's not like looking for suffering. So here in verse 8, Paul identifies the type of suffering and shame that is specific about what he's talking about. And that's why the word for is there, for the gospel, suffering for the gospel. We see in scripture three different types of, uh, of suffering revealed. The first is general suffering. That's the difficulty of, of your living life in a world that is broken. 
right? It's the reason that cancer exists. It's, it's the reason that people end up passing away. It's the reason there's car wrecks. It's the reason there's natural disasters. And it's just, it's difficult. And there's, there is natural general suffering in this world. And Jesus on the cross has paid for that and is redeeming everything. And at the end of time, will fully eradicate all of that. That's the hope that we have in the gospel is that stuff is not final, but it is reality. But that's not what Paul is talking about in this chapter. He's specifically talking about persecution or suffering because of something, some type of association with the gospel, right? He's also not talking about, because the second one is suffering or persecution for the gospel. The final one that scripture talks about is justice, justice and, um, let's see where, justice and consequences, meaning you can't cry persecution that if you're a jerk, somebody punches you, (laughs) right? Or if you sin, then there's consequences to that. Someone cry, if a Christian commits some type of felony, he can't cry persecution because the police prosecute him. That's called justice and consequences. But what Paul is talking about here is something that is for the gospel. The word ashamed here means undeserved humiliation. Meaning that there's no real reason other than the gospel itself that they would endure this type of suffering. Does that make sense? That's, that's why we have to clarify terms. So there was something about their view of suffering that, particularly for the gospel, that Timothy didn't want to deal with. And I understand that. Because I don't want suffering to come into my life. I don't like difficulty coming into my life. And chances are you guys don't either. You're not looking to add more difficulty into your life, are you? But Paul says, share in this, in this suffering. Not that you go looking for it, but that naturally there will be things that come up against us. And we're called to remain faithful in it, knowing that nothing just accidentally slips through God's fingers, but that he's allowing it into our lives for a particular purpose and reasoning. That there is something here as uh, by the power of God that he allows it into our life and that good can come of it and that good will come of it for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Suffering seemed to be an indicator that you were actually outside of the will of God. So the false teachers of that time actually were similar in some ways to false teachers of today. They were preaching this kind of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that essentially would say that if you are in God's will, then you will not be suffering. In fact, you will be accumulating things. Your life will be good. You'll be driving that new Range Rover. You'll have the house that you, ha- that you would like if you just believe enough, if you just give enough, and that there will be no difficulty that will enter your life. We know that's just a load of malarkey. It's not something that Jesus would have ever understood or known, and it's not something that we as Christians will either. 
So he says that we must entrust ourselves to God's will even when that leads us into suffering. Paul viewed suffering as something that was a badge of honor. And we see this in Acts 5.41. It'll be on your screen. This is what the early disciples thought of suffering as they had gone and preached the gospel. Then they left the presence of the council doing what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That they were counted worthy. Suffering for the gospel is not something that that we dive head into and, and long for. A martyr syndrome is stupid. Let's just be honest about it. That's, that's crazy. But when suffering does enter into our life, particularly because we're sharing the faith, we're, we're being who Jesus called us to be, we're sharing the gospel, when that enters into our life, then guess what? That is a badge of honor. It is, we must rejoice for God has found us worthy to endure that. So McCall is to share in the suffering of the gospel. But here's the, the truth. Most of us, if we're being honest, don't suffer a whole lot for the gospel. It's more passive or intimidation or peer pressure or things like that. And that's okay. That is very real. But there is a distinction between what we experience and what, say, believers in Africa experience or the Middle East experience or in, even in China. But so I want us to be able to apply this principle directly to our life too. And so those who don't suffer greatly for the gospel now, what do we do? First, we prepare ourselves as if we will be. Prepare, draw a line in the sand, pray and ask God to build fortitude, to build steel into your life that when that moment comes, that you will be faithful. The second thing is, the greater principle in, is that you and I should be faithful in all of our life, not just in the moments of suffering, that we surrender every moment to our lives to the circumstances that God gives to us. As I mentioned, there is nothing in your life currently that is accidental. Nothing, even the tough stuff. So, If you were honest, is there a place in your life that you would like to get rid of? That if you could cut out of your life right now, you would. If you're honest, probably so. Another way of asking this is what part of your life don't you love? What part of your life would you say that you're fighting his will? We do that when we, see, when we believe that God is not giving us everything that we need in this moment or that our wants become greater than our desire for him. And Paul's saying we must give ourselves to share. He calls it a holy calling. Your life, whatever your circumstances are right now, is the holy calling that God has given to you. Would you say that you're being faithful in it? Are you sacrificing it or are you discontent? Are there things in your life that, man, if I could just get myself out of this right now, 
then, then, then my life would be satisfied. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. This is the holy calling that God has given to you. Maybe this is an area that you can begin to pray about. Repent of if there's something that you're truly discontent. Ask God to help you learn contentment in even this season of your life right now. So you can gain his perspective for you. The final thing is, how do we remain faithful? Like what's really going to hold us? This is the end of uh, verse 8. After for the gospel, he says what? By the power of God. That we share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You and I can rest knowing that it is not in our own power that we remain faithful. But that when we surrender to God, it is by his power that he sustains us. And this is what we learn from this. The third truth is this. To remain faithful, we must confidently remember God's power to save and sustain us. You must remember God's power to save you and sustain you. Look back at all the essentially declarations of God's power beginning in verse 9. This God, this power is the power that saved us and called us to this holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This power goes back eternally into the past. This is his plan and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the power in Christ that abolished death, that has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the power that appointed Paul to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. This is the power that allows Paul to suffer as he does. And so he says, but I am not ashamed for I know, I know whom I have believed. And I know that he is able to guard what he began. Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That you and I believers in here, yes, we, we must prepare, we must surrender. But beloved, as we do those things, what that is doing is extending a hand for the power of God to keep us. It's God's work in us that holds us. So rest easily knowing that, that God himself is the one that is holding us in his power. You and I can remain faithful because Jesus has loved us and he has saved us. We can remain faithful because he is the one that sustains us. So suffering doesn't negate God's promises. It furthers it. So in saying that, that Jesus in the same power abolished death, that is the power that holds us. So what has been entrusted to you to be faithful in? If you look at your life, what has been entrusted to you? If you're in here and you're a believer, you may not be an apostle, a preacher, or a teacher, but you are something. You're a father. You're a mother. 
You're a coworker. You're a believer. You carry the gospel with you. You're a student. You're a friend. What things and relationships have been entrusted to you and how is God asking you to surrender to remain faithful? That's the question that we must ask. And it's not in our own self-confidence that we do this, but it is in the confidence and power of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the source of our power. You are the source of our confidence that we know you and we can know you because of what Jesus has done for us. God, that we are fully reconciled to you. And so we have a personal relationship with you. God, if someone in here doesn't have a personal relationship with you in Christ, I pray that, that they would surrender that today, that they would call out to you and believe that, that you exist and that you are good and that they would trust in Jesus alone to save them, the Son of God who has died for their sins and been raised again that they may have new life. They have to believe that Jesus is the one that can save them, that they can't save themselves. I pray for the believers in here today. God, help us against the pressures of this life and the pressures of the world and the pressures of uh, our friends at times or our coworkers or even policies and procedures, the fear of suffering itself, because we don't wanna bring that into our lives. God, you've given us a high and holy calling. And so help us to remain faithful. God, where we have fallen, I pray that you would forgive us, and I know that you will. Help us to be faithful examples of Jesus wherever we are. God, I pray that if there's places in our lives that we are discontent, that instead of holding that discontentment tightly, that becomes bitterness and resentment, that we open our hands to you, God, and we're honest and we show our cards as they are. Now, God, I, I'm, I'm tired of this, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know why you have this in my life, but it, I know that it's not by accident. So help me to trust you. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy that's new for us every day. Lord knows we need it. So in this moment, God, I pray that we would cry out to you and, and be encouraged and emboldened and fortified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.